I will begin reading in verse 1. And just to catch us up, we're going to spend quite a bit of time kind of reminding ourselves of this whole context and the tension that's here in the text before we finally land on where God's going to move us today. We're going to specifically look at verses 12 through 15, but let me read through verse 11 first. This is what he writes, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord and then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land, and a drought in the hills, and a drought on the grain, and a drought of new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and all their labors." When was the last time you got into your car, turned the ignition switch, shifted the car into what you thought was reverse or drive, pushed the gas, you hear the engine rev up, you hear a whole lot of noise, but the car goes nowhere because it's in neutral. I've done it so many times, I'm sure you have as well. And this is the title of this series, that neutral goes nowhere, Neutral goes nowhere. And that's a fitting description of the Israelites that we just read about here in this text. And it's a fitting description of the lives of countless people today who also call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. It describes what life feels like for so many. Maybe you can relate. Expending all kinds of energy, but not getting the results you expected. Eating better, but not feeling better. Working harder, but not gaining any ground or moving up the ladder. Trying to improve your marriage, but you feel like you're dancing alone. Spending money on clothes, but you feel no more beautiful. Spending time on your hobbies or going to the gym, but you never really feel fulfilled or content. You always feel like there's more that needs to be done. Maybe you feel like you're always in such a hurry pushed so hard, so busy. Isn't that just the way that people respond? How you doing? I'm busy. How are you doing? I'm busy. It's not even like it replaced the I'm good. How are you? That's gone now. And the acceptable answer now is I'm busy. How are you? I'm busy. Okay, good. That means everything's good, that we're super busy. 
That's how we respond to one another now. So this busyness, but all that rushing and working and busyness has only led to frustration and dissatisfaction. You thought you were going somewhere, but you found out the engine has been revving. There's all kinds of noise, but you're stuck in neutral. You're stuck in neutral in your faith and movement for the gospel. This is directly what Haggai is speaking into, this issue. This issue right here. Let's review for a moment before I kind of get after these few verses in 12 through 15. I need to talk a little bit about the history again and catch you up. So hopefully you're awake this morning. If not, go grab some coffee again because I need to give you some content, some information that will help us understand this text because you can't come to an Old Testament prophecy and read it like a New Testament gospel or read it like a New Testament epistle. You really need to understand what's going on and how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together. So I need to explain that for us this morning. Jerusalem, remember, was completely destroyed in 586 BC by a superpower called Babylon. The Bible makes it clear why this happened makes it clear why this happened. In the books of Kings and Chronicles, it talks about it. It's because God's people broke their promise to God. They broke their covenant with God. God initiated a relationship with Israel. He established that relationship through what was called a covenant. And the covenant stipulated that God would give his people a homeland. He would protect them as a nation. He would provide for them His power would be with them, his presence would be with them, and the world would know he is God because of their story. That's what he was doing in the Old Testament. But if they disobeyed the covenant, they would be disciplined and they would lose their land. And that's exactly what happened. Now, we need to understand where the Old Testament fits in God's plan, his bigger plan, his bigger story of redemption. So many people think that the Old Testament and the New Testament are incompatible. So the Old Testament talks about a big and a mean and a distant and a powerful God. The New Testament talks about a God who is meek and who is kind and who is loving. And they make this distinction. This perspective does not appreciate that God has always been working and he's always the same. Yesterday, today, forever, always the same. The Old Testament then is really the story of where God creates, people rebel, and God starts setting things in motion to build a spiritual family and rescue that family from their rebellion. It's the beginning workings of this whole story. And more deeply, it helps us see that it is impossible for us in our rebellion to live up to the standards of God. It shows it over and over and over again. It's why we have story after story, narrative after narrative of failure. Because we're not capable of living up to the standard of God. We're powerless to fulfill what he expects. So it points us to the only one with the power to fill up everything we lack. It points us to our need, our desperate need for Jesus. He then becomes the fulfillment, the very fulfillment, the expectation of the Old Testament. So it's not some different God. It's the same God doing his work. Now, other people think that the Old Testament and the New Testament are simply a one-for-one, that you could take all the texts from the Old Testament and just bring them straight over, that there's no differences worth appreciating. So they'll say, see, 
When I hear this about Haggai and the people of Israel and they've lost their land and they've lost their nation, this is why we need to come back to God as a nation in the United States because if we don't, God will take away our land. See, this is now a mistake and it's one that's made all the time. We are the people of God through faith in Jesus, but God has made no land promise to his people in this day. Uh, There is no land promised for you and for me or for our country. The people of God aren't in one land today. We're all over the world. All over the world, united by what? United by the Holy Spirit. That's what brings us together as a people, as a nation. So God might discipline us when we're disobedient, but the covenant God made with the Israelites on Mount Sinai is not a one-for-one with the new covenant we have been brought into through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus calls it a new covenant. So Israel disobeys, and off they go from the promised land of Babylon for 70 years. And God wasn't done with them, however. He restores them. And the empire of Babylon is conquered by the empire of the Persians. And the Persian king sends the Jews back to rebuild their temple and reestablish themselves in the land. This is what the book of Ezra talks about. So their mission, we talked about this a few weeks ago, was to go back and rebuild the temple of God. Why is that so important? This is where we need to understand these things. Because the temple was the symbol of God's presence on the earth. That's what the temple functioned as. God's people in the Old Testament were not given the permanent presence of God in their lives through the Holy Spirit. So the New Testament says we don't need the temple because we are the temple now. We don't need the physical temple in Jerusalem because now we are the temple of God. Each of us who has put our faith in Jesus has received the spirit of Jesus and we become the temple of that spirit. So we become the lighthouses for God to the world. But in the Old Testament, the physical temple was the lighthouse of God to the world. Are you guys getting this? Dilusia? You guys with me? Like 15 of you were with me. There's a couple hundred people in here. Well, if I lost you, you know, hopefully I'll gain you back here in a moment. But, but we need to understand this because the, the letter just doesn't make sense otherwise. You, you'll come to all kinds of crazy conclusions on what the Old Testament says if you don't appreciate the differences here. So this is why their mission mattered Because the physical temple was the lighthouse of God to the world. Today, in our setting, because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, we now are the lighthouse of God to the world. We are now that temple. But for them, that's why God's temple mattered so much. It was worth their time, their energy, their lives. But when they were sent back to accomplish this mission, their priorities quickly changed. They started after it. They were doing well for a couple years. Then some things got in the way. Life got in the way. Building their homes got in the way. Building their businesses got in the way. Other people got in the way. And eventually time got away. 16 years, in fact, where they did nothing. Neutral goes nowhere. Has life got in the way of you pursuing God's priorities? That was our main question from a few weeks ago. It's worth repeating. Has time got away from you when it comes to God's priorities? Jesus made our priorities abundantly clear. 
And if you're not sure what Jesus' priorities are for us, that's how I closed my message two weeks ago. So if you missed it, go onto our Facebook page, scroll down, find the sermon, go onto SoundCloud if you need to. Uh, but that's where you can find it because that's where I talk about it. That's where we talk about what are God's priorities for us. That's how I closed the sermon. Uh, but here today, we're going to go a little further. Now, 16 years later, God sends Haggai the prophet. And through the prophets, God speaks to his people. His message was pretty simple. God's house is a relic, while your houses have all been refurbished. All the fixer-uppers have spent their time on the personal residences instead of on the divine residence. How did God say it through Haggai? We heard it. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Your priorities are mixed up. Our translation, to quote the famous philosopher, Ice Cube, circa 1992, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Remember that one? So just turn to two neighbors this morning and say, you better check yourself. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm pulling out that tape soon. I'm going to listen to that tape with all the bleeps in that rap song. In other words, your priorities are all wrong. And as a result of your misplaced priorities, you're stuck in neutral and your lives aren't going anywhere. And all that rushing around and working hard and busyness has only led to frustration and dissatisfaction. So Haggai comes and says, get to work. It's time to get to work. So turn to somebody this morning and say, get to work. Get to work. Get to work. That's, that's what he says. And I'm just telling you, friends, this message is not just an ancient message, not for today. I hope you've already connected enough dots to see this is what the church needs to hear as well. Get to work. Now that God has spoken to his people, we're left with the question, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? So Haggai spoke. He spoke the word of the Lord. The voice of God has come and confronted the people. What are they going to do? Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. I worked really hard on pronouncing those names <laughs> so I could read them and preach this so good to you this morning. So, so I said those, the, the, the son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I'm just patting myself on the back now. With all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. What did they do? Three things, simple things. They listened to what God was saying. That's the first thing. They listened to what God was saying. We have God's spirit in us, we've talked about that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith alone and hope alone in him, he gives you the Holy Spirit, his spirit as a deposit of that salvation. And that spirit is at work within us. And, and that spirit of God that is within us, it communicates to us, it speaks to us so that we can listen. And he speaks to us through his word and through his people. That's how he speaks. Are you listening to God? When's the last time he had a message for you? 
When's the last time he had something to say to you? If you haven't heard from him in months or years, that doesn't sound like a personal relationship much. Intimacy means that we are consistently hearing from God. Where do we hear from God? Through his word, through his people, through brothers and sisters, through his word, through his people. So they listened to what God was saying. They obeyed what God was saying. Number two, they obeyed, they followed through, and they did it because they feared God. It means they revered him. It means they respected him. It's not, it's not fear as in I'm running away to hide. It's fear that draws us closer and motivates us to follow through. That type of fear. Yesterday, I was driving home from the men's retreat. I, I was speaking there. It was, it was awesome. It's fun to be at those men's retreats. If you've never been, you need to go next year. That, that that retreat has grown from a couple hundred guys four years ago to over 700 over these two weekends. It was, it was fantastic to see God working among our men there. And so I was driving home, and uh, I, I've been driving a lot out of town quite a bit recently, a little bit more than usual this past month. And, and when I'm gone a little more, this is what happens in my house. The kids get a little more mouthy with their mother. Anybody else know that story in this room? I see a bunch of moms like staring down their kids right now. Yeah, you, you listen to this preacher right now. This is, this is God's word for you, he said. So they get a little mouthy with their mother. And I was on the phone with my wife, Kate. And our sweet Leah was giving my sweet wife the business. She was giving her a hard time. And I could hear it in the background. And so I said, Katie, let me talk to her. And she got on the phone and I said, uh, actually, when she got on the phone, she goes, hi, daddy, how are you? <laughs> First thing she said, sweet Leah was normal, sweet Leah. And I almost wanted to laugh out loud because I heard her like five seconds before getting after her mom. And I knew it. So I said, Leah, stop it with that. Whatever it was that you said to mom, why don't you say that to me right now? Say it to me. Say it to me with the same tone. Say what you said to her in the same tone, and let's see what happens. And she said, I'm not interested. (laughs) (laughs) Then I shared my expectations with her. And this time, she did them. She listened. She obeyed. And her obedience was built not just on her own conscience, but also on a healthy dose of fear. It doesn't always go down like this in my house, but it did yesterday on the phone. I think God just gave me that story just to preach it to you this morning. So God allowed it to happen so that we could understand this, so we could get this, so we could really get it. This is what we all need to do. Listen to what God is saying. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? What are the voices? Obey what God is saying. Do you follow through when you receive a word from the Lord through his word or through his people? Listen, obey, realize that fearing God's voice more than every other voice that's arguing for our attention will get your life out of neutral. It will get your life out of neutral. So God's people here, they are obedient And this leaves us with a question that we'll spend just the last few minutes on this morning. And that is, what can we expect when we are obedient with God? 
What can you expect when you are obedient in listening to God, obeying God, and then being motivated by a healthy fear of God and drawing closer to him? Two things. We will experience God's presence first. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. Here's the Lord's message now. I am with you, declares the Lord. When we are obedient to the voice of God in our lives, we are filled with a confidence only his Holy Spirit can bring. His people are told here, I am with you. I am with you. And isn't this the essence of biblical faith to know that God is with you? There is no greater reward in life. There is no better message to hear than to know that the living creator God is with you. And that's what he says to his people here. I'm with you. This is the message he has for his people throughout all time. What did God say to Moses when Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Then God says, I'm with you. Doesn't matter who you are. What matters is I'm with you. What did God say to Gideon when Gideon said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? I'm from the weakest clan and my family is the weakest family within that clan. And God says, but I'll be with you. What did God say to Jeremiah when Jeremiah said, Lord, I don't know how to speak. Your people aren't going to listen to me. I'm too young. Then God says, I will be with you. I looked it up. I looked up all the people that God said this to. He said it to Abraham, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Joshua, to Samuel, to Solomon, to Isaiah, to Paul, over and over. I am with you. Confidence in God's presence results in courage for God's priorities. If you want to know maybe why God's priorities aren't active in your life right now and you're stuck in neutral and your tires are spinning and you hear the rev of the engine, but, but you're not going anywhere perhaps. It's confidence. We have to have confidence in God's presence as we obey him, which results in courage to accomplish his priorities. Amen. Has God ever spoken these words to us? Has he ever told us, I am with you? He did. CT talked about it last week. How about Jesus? Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then in verse 20, and behold, I am with you always. I'm with you always. That wasn't just for his 11 at the time and a few others. That, that was for all of his disciples for all time. He spoke it out of his own mouth. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Jesus also tells us that God's presence doesn't come and go like it did in the Old Testament based on their obedience. If they obeyed, God's presence. Disobedience, taken away. The kicker is that, that here in the New Testament, because of Jesus, if you put your whole life in the hands of Jesus Christ, then his presence is with us permanently through the Holy Spirit. It's always with you. You can know if God's presence is with you permanently. It's simple. You just need to answer the question, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? If he is, not just in your head, but in your heart and through your life, if he is, then you know his presence is with you forever. But that brings up another issue. If God's presence is with us permanently because of Jesus Christ, then why bother obeying at all? What difference does it make? I can do what I want. His presence is still going to be with me. Well, a few things. First, because we know if we don't, 
then God will pursue us relentlessly until we do. He doesn't let us off the hook. That's the story of Jonah. He didn't listen to God. He didn't obey God. And it showed that he didn't really fear God. And what happened? Where did that get him? Frustrated, stuck in neutral, literally sitting still in the belly of a big fish. Here's another one, another reason. If we're obedient... Obedience leads to joy, and disobedience always leads to shame. How, how would you rather live, constantly feeling guilt and defeat, or joy and victory? I mean, the answer is pretty simple. I'd rather go through the day and not have to have shame, even though I know the shame's been paid for. I'd rather not feel the consequences of that shame by falling into that shame every time I'm interacting with people. The the joy of living in the victory of obedience is better than living in the guilt of failure. You need to know that it is possible. I want you to know this morning, it's possible to know that God is with you always. The only answer is Jesus. You need to know this morning That if you are in Christ, God is with you. He is with you through your pain. He is with you in your trial. He is with you through your suffering. He is with you in your battle. And you will experience his presence in a very real way when you obey what he is saying to you through his word and through his people. You can know that if he is in your life, then when you woke up this morning and you were conscious of the very first breath you took, you can know for a fact Jesus is with me. God is with me. Right now, this morning, tomorrow morning, every moment, every day, if I'm in Christ, he's with me. That changes things. That changes perspective. That changes priorities. What can we expect when we're obedient to God? We will experience his presence. We will also experience his power. Let me close with this. Look at verse 14. And the Lord stirred up. The spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. I'm just going to keep reading these names. I got them down. The high priest and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they come and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So 16 years the temple sat. Neutral goes nowhere. Say it with me. Neutral goes nowhere. 16 years. He gives them a reminder. He's patient with them. Finally, their obedience results in movement. Here's the thing. When we go after the things of God, when we go after the things God wants us to do, we will always, always be empowered to do it. When you follow through with what God wants you to do, you will never fail. Now, I'm not saying that you will never fail when you go after the things that you want to do. Like, you know, get, get the cottage, the, the fifth one, or put your feet up, or whatever it is, or all those types of things. That, that's not what we're talking about. We're saying when you go after the things that God has made priorities, when you go after the things that he brings to light, that he wants to accomplish for his redemptive purposes. When you go after his things that he is uniquely called to you to do, you will not fail in doing them because that's part of his plan. 
because he's accomplishing the work of the ministry through you, through us, through the church. We will not fail. Three weeks later, they hear from God and they're stacking bricks. They're already mobilized into action. But here's something I want you to see, and we can't miss this. Who rallied them to get them to work? Look at the text. Look at verse 14. Who was the motivator of their souls? Who is the initiator of their hearts? And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. God is the initiator of our hearts. God is the motivator of our souls. God is the one who gets us off our butts. He's the one who says, get going. And if you find yourself strangely drawn to the things of God, strangely drawn, like I feel a pull in the direction of God's work. If you feel drawn to the things of God, to Jesus Christ, to the church, even if you have never been a particularly religious person, you can be certain that it is God who is drawing you. And my encouragement to you would be to respond by going higher up and deeper in. Don't sit around thinking, well, let me just see if this is still here in a few days. Let me just see if that was just like that feeling I had, that stirring that I felt, that, that initiative that I felt within me to move towards the things of God. Let, let me just see if that was just some weird lunch that I had or, or, some, or some donuts that we had this morning or, or, or the coffee this morning, I, whatever it is. Let me, just, let me just wait a little while. Let me wait a few days, a few weeks, a few months. If you're not sure whether it's really God or not, we already know the answer. Check his word. Check with his people. And if you know through his word and through his people, then we move, we go. If God is stirring inside of your heart and you know it's consistent with his word and consistent with his people, it's for the good of his people, then go. It's amazing to me how fast we are to get things done for ourselves and how slow we are to get things done for God's purposes. It's fascinating to me. We'd never be late for a first date that you're pumped about at least. You'd never be late. I, I remember when, when I was taking Katie out the first time, this was before you could get maps on your iPhone and all the rest of it. I drove all the way to St. Clair from Troy just so I could know how to get to the restaurant and not embarrass myself and drove back before I took her there just so I knew where I was going. I showed up at her house 15 to 20 minutes early in case her dad wanted to have a chat with a shotgun. I, I was there on time. On time, like early on time, I was ready to go. We, we get ready for things. We're on time for things. We go after things all the time. We're not late for soccer tryouts. We're not late for dance recitals. We're not late for graduation ceremonies. We're not late for getting the cottage opened up for the summer. We get that stuff done. If we have a party to put on, we're going to get it done. We're ready to go. We got the music playing. We got the food out. It's ready. All the food's on the grill. We're ready to go. And that's how we are. We get things done in America, and we certainly get things done around the Rust Belt of the Great Lakes. We, we like to get things done. But when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to joining a family of God, when it comes to serving the family of God, when it comes to doing life with the family of God outside of a church building, well, we like to take our sweet old time. 
Friends, we have a church to build. We have a gospel to preach. We have lives to save through God's spirit for eternity. Let's go. Let's go. We don't need to wait around saying, I, I, need, to, I need to think about this for a few weeks. Like, let's go. Let, let's get it in and let's go. So uh, can you just say that with me this morning? Let's go. Let's go. Like, we need to go. We don't have time to waste. We've got a church to build. We've got people who need to hear the gospel, people who need served. Let's go. There's marriages falling apart. Let's go. There's kids who are struggling. Let's go. There's people in the hospital that are suffering, that are wondering if anyone will walk alongside of them through this life. Let's go. Let's not just sit and wait. What are you being stirred up to do? What are you being stirred up by God to do in this place? CT talked about several of these last week, and I'll close with them here. Maybe God's stirring your heart just to show up on Sunday. That's a good place to start. We're all at different places in our spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. That's a good place to start. Just show up. Hear from the word. Hear from God. Maybe God is stirring your heart to go all in with this church family for the next season of life. He's telling you to move from being passively involved to actively engaged So again, simply use a communication card and sign up for a belong class. Like, figure it out. Let's go. Maybe God's stirring your heart to join a neighborhood group or lead a neighborhood group. These are groups of people who grow together in their relationships with God and follow God in reaching their neighbors and networks for the gospel. It's where mission happens. It's where we expand what God is doing in this place beyond the walls of this place. And we need groups. I mean, our church has grown and our groups have not grown at that same pace. So we want 20 groups launched by the fall. And so we're going to take June and July to just sign up for groups. And last week, if you filled out a card or even today, if you fill out a communication card and say you want to be a part of one, in those two months, June and July, we're going to make sure that everybody then is placed wherever you'd like to be so we can move, so we can go, so we can help one another and live life together in relationship and motivate one another and encourage one another. We need our young professionals and young adults. There are probably 75 young adults and young professionals in this place, and we haven't got a single group for them that's actually caught on. So we want millennials, (laughs) and I just called you out millennials. I'm actually technically one of you. I just found out by a year. But we want We want young professionals and young adults to actually get into a group and to start meeting, to start moving, to start growing, and not have like a stall out for the 10th time. You know, we want another group of young marrieds. We have tons of young marrieds. People who have been married five years or less get together. We need groups of people that uh, just have kids and just know what that chaotic stage of life is for. Maybe God's stirring your heart to lead a group, to host a group, just to be in a group. The point is, In all of these things, and you can sign up for whatever you'd like on that communication card and drop it off, but the point is when we follow through with what God has asked us to do, we will experience his power and see it done. His church will move. Not for my glory, not for your glory, not for any of that. This is just his work. I think it's worth my life. How about you? Yes. Thank you. You know, that's good. I was preaching this weekend at the men's retreat. You know who was there? The Pontiac campus. And the whole time I was preaching, they were speaking to me. 
They're shouting amen. They're yelling. They're talking. They're, they're giving high fives. They're doing that whole stuff. You know, that's good to do in church sometimes. Sometimes it's good when you hear the word of God and you're affirming of it. I mean, I know that this is a wonderful church family. I know that you guys are so gracious and you're so generous and I know you hear it and receive it. But it's so good sometimes when you just respond and say, yeah, I got you today. I got this today. Let's go. Like, I got this today. So just an encouragement. (laughs) What can we expect when we are obedient to God? We will experience God's presence. We will experience God's power. Experience his presence, experience his power. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. I thank you for those who came and are simply exploring you. Father, I thank you for this example that we have of a group of people that got stuck They were stuck in neutral. They weren't going anywhere. 16 years wondering if God was going to show up and do something. Father, help us to listen, to obey, and to respond. And as we respond in that growing, healthy fear that motivates us, help us to know that in that obedience, you are with us, And you will empower us to do all that you've called us to do. We're grateful for that, Father. We want to see this year as last year, your spirit invade the lives of people and bring all of us to a deeper place of submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need your help. We're dependent completely upon you to see it through. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.